Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. I'm not sure this qualifies as an emergency podcast. I don't know. It's kind of in the middle. But we recorded yesterday, and so much <laughs> happened in the in the last 11 hours. We were going to post it this morning, and instead we are re-recording because we were uh, relying on Novak Djokovic to kind of get through Taylor Fritz without really any big drama or headlines. And that that didn't happen, did it, Amy? Yeah, and it's so funny because I was going to write the summaries and I procrastinated and I texted Gil last night. Oh, I'll do it in the morning. I'm so glad I procrastinated because everything is all upside down now. Um, we've got some wounded goats, guys. We've got um, Djokovic slipping on the Melbourne paint area of the court and injuring his side as he just barely gets through a match with a five set match with Taylor Fritz. And I don't know, slipping on Melbourne in Melbourne, a place where he's been so comfortable. Would you call it ironic, Joel? Would you call it cinematic? You're the wordsmith. What's oh, the it definitely has its cinematic quality. It's like I was thinking about that. Some people slip in Melbourne. He slipped on Melbourne. And <laughs> remember a few years ago, um, Serena Williams and her mother were not pleased with her court positioning on the court. And I forget exactly the location of the Melbourne letters, but the mother said, get out of Melbourne. You know, don't don't linger back there. So I guess the case is made for court positioning and moving up onto the baseline. But I think it's just uh, it's just unfortunate. It's, it's interesting how these things happen. You just this is the sports for you. You know, we think it's going to happen. It's organized. Yeah. The guy's a favorite. He's a better player. He's won a lot. And then something like that. And it changes the flow of the match. It reminds me of how you can't get into Long Island, New York. You can only get on it. That's, that's what, that's what came up for me there, but Djokovic slips, he was moving to his, his right. And I'm fairly certain. I don't think that I need to be a doctor on the court. Uh, his right oblique seemed to be the issue because he could not rotate yeah. on his forehand. So that's a, a leftward hip mm -hmm. rotation. The center of that movement is the right oblique. Meanwhile, he had no problem serving. He had no problem hitting a backhand. That is the left oblique. So now throughout this match with Taylor Fritz, um, he basically can't move to his right. He can't really hit a return of serve, but his serve is fine. His backhand is fine. It wasn't until the fifth set where, you know, he took pain medication and he started feeling well enough to hit out and kind of rotate on his forehand just enough. Mm -hmm. and he got he got past the finish line it was quite miraculous Joel what did you make of that that fifth set well look you see Novak in that fifth set he got in 73 percent of his first serve so he probably was really aware of what he needed to take care of and uh, on the other hand there's Fritz serving a 2-3-30 love so he's pretty close to then you know we're three all in the fifth and and yet Novak you know look this is the thing with these players I mean Novak he played this is his 43rd five setter of his career, 32 and 10 in five setters. So he is quite experienced. And maybe that proved the difference of how well Novak was able to just grab the moment, hit out on a few forehands and just kind of snatch the match, you know, just uh, as he had so many times. 
it was the coiling that seemed to yeah you're right gil on the coiling for the forehand that was he would grimace after he had to do that but he he put himself through the pain a few times because he knew he had to and he he hit some killer forehands um I just, uh, how many times have we seen this um, wounded warrior in the middle of a match? And then it's almost like you just know that the other guy is going to be somehow affected by that and that the wounded warrior is going to come out on top. We've seen it with Novak dozens of times. We have, and that was kind of the, the sentiment like, oh, uh, how, how we've seen this movie before. My one issue with that is it's not as if Novak playing a horrible level for two sets helped him win the match, right? I mean, he is at his base level better than Taylor Fritz. He was up two sets to none. Then he got injured. Then he had, you know, then he dropped sets. So it's not as if the injury, it's not as if it helped him win. It, it in a way, it, it hurt him win. I'll tell you one thing that did help him, Gil, in, in watching the match was when midnight struck and they had to get all the fans out of there because of the governmental regulations for COVID now. That's the other thing that's happened in the last 11 hours. And uh, the fans were upset that they had to leave. I mean, who wouldn't be? But they got him out of there in about seven or eight minutes. Djokovic needed that time to you know, gather himself to get treatment, to relax a little bit. And that to me was pivotal. Reminds me of times at this tournament when they've had the Australia Day celebration on January 26th and there are fireworks going on. And suddenly there's like a mid-match delay. I can't cite a specific match where a player was then aided by that and turned things around, but it's just this, mm -hmm. it's just interesting how these things occur in sports. And I think, boy, this is a year of unpredictability. I mean, Crowds, no crowds, adjustments, tests, the very fact that now there's there's a COVID going in Melbourne and how that affects the city and the climate. And you just think of all the things people are going through. I mean, this is just kind of the beginning of it's gonna be this is gonna be quite the year of unpredictability. Yeah, well, you can't predict Novak Djokovic uh, suffering this, this injury at the Australian Open where he's been so healthy throughout his career. It's in sharp contrast to Rafael Nadal. And I know in our last podcast, um, I talked about how I, I have gathered Nadal's Aussie Open injury history and I, I couldn't pull it up. So let me just throw it out there right now. He missed the tournament in 2006. He missed it in 2013. He lost to Ferrer in 2011, dealing with an abdominal injury. Lost to Vavrinka in 2014 in the final with a stiff back and withdrew against Chilich in 2018. And I could be missing some here. So Nadal, this has been kind of a, a tournament of bad fortune for, for Nadal on the injury front. Djokovic has been so consistent here, uh, obviously with, with the eight titles. But now, you're right, Amy, the way you, you started off the show, that's kind of what I was thinking of. Boy, here we are with with our three. Federer is on the shelf. Nadal has a back injury, and now Djokovic has this oblique thing. And I mean, no one's healthy. And this is kind of what happens when you when you have players at this age. Yeah, and isn't it interesting that Rafa is suffering these injuries at the start of the season when he's had mm -hmm. time off? I mean, it's almost counterintuitive. Um, 
And then, you know, once clay season rolls around, he seems absolutely fine. So I don't know if it's something with his training or if he's, you know, doing something funky there. But I do know, and I said this in the previous, that back injuries, because I've struggled with back injuries my entire life, and it can be a strain, it can be a herniated disc, um, they can leave as quickly as they came on. So there's hope. There's hope for him. And now with it, with an injured Djokovic, this is really an open tournament. But the uncertainty of the injuries is so um, disturbing. It's so tricky for a player because they don't know. And then you go to sleep. And, and I think uh, you've told me, Amy, about how with a back injury, your sleep can be compromised. Oh, it's terrible. And so, yeah. uh, so but for, for Nadal, I think, um, I'm not sure whether it's his training or just hard courts themselves. Hard courts themselves exert a toll on him. And I also think, I think these players, all these players, particularly the great players, are such creatures of their habits and rituals. I mean, this is Novak's Roland Garros. Rafa has Roland Garros and he loves that clay season. He loves playing along the Mediterranean. I mean, you instantly see how comfortable he is upon arrival in Monte Carlo every spring. I mean, and, the, and that whole European stretch and that's, that's Rafa country. And Novak, while there aren't that many Australian Open tune-ups given the time of the year, you see how dialed in he is to the hard courts and the controlled bounce. We've spoken about Novak's discipline in the past, and I think hard courts like this reward a certain kind of discipline. Andre Agassi loved playing at the Australian Open too. You play the bounce, there's control, hit the ball. Very good for people who are controlling, you know, controlling things that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess one difference is, you know, and you, you don't you try not to speculate on the the severity of of both injuries. Djokovic is concerned that he tore his left oblique, which you know I, I you don't need to be a doctor to know that that um, you know that would be a really really difficult injury to play through. Um, so you know we'll, we'll see and we'll see if he does imaging or not. But one thing is that you know as as Novak has kind of struggled through his first couple matches on, you know, in terms of the score lines, Nadal, despite being, you know, dealing with the back issue, which he says is still not where he'd want it to be. He's kind of blowing his opponents out, including Michael Moe in the second round, you know, so I would ask, you know, what, what did, did you think that Nadal was at a, a fairly high level against Moe? I did. I mean, I, I, I thought that, um, Here's a guy who doesn't have his normal spring in his step, and yet he was in complete control over the match of a, of a young guy with legs and absolutely healthy body cut, and yet he could completely dictate. So I would much rather be in Rafa's shoes right now where the injury is not in the acute phase um, because that's the bad time, you know, when it, it just happened. Nadal wasn't really tested by those opponents. They weren't that skilled players. And so he's in control of them quite well. I think, uh, I think what's interesting with our three, we've spoken about this, about how they focus and what they bring. And I think Nadal always finds this uh, transcendental level of engagement that matters most of all. I mean, that kind of is going to kind of and, and it fits into the thing you've talked to me before, Gil, about suffering. It's like, okay, so I've got some pain. That's part of it too. And you just, you know, there's such a, Nadal is such the warrior. Novak is so disciplined in his way. Roger with his artistry. You know, it's interesting how they each bring 
there's skills to it. And, uh, and the, the fighting qualities, I mean, we'll see, obviously we'll just have to see what this injury really is for Nadal, for both these guys. I, can I just say something about, maybe you guys know the answer to this, but is it really necessary to have that painted on the court, the city name? I mean, I know it's good for like recognition on television, but tennis is a multi-billion dollar industry. Can, can't we do it like virtually or, I mean, well, do, you guys me tell interrupt. me. Well, let me, yeah. uh, my, my assumption is that the, the fact that he was on the Melbourne paint had nothing to do with his slip, right? I, I think if, if that was, and we've seen it on clay that the lines are more slippery than the rest of the court. And we've seen that consistently. I think if the, if the white paint was actually a lot more slippery than the blue paint, I think we'd see this kind of thing more often. So my, okay. my thought is that it was a coincidence. Well, maybe we're going to measure the distance and we'll have to look in a year and see where the words Melbourne are located a year from now. <laughs> or, or, you know, if they do that again, because it's been there for years. That, that's a great point, Amy. And your point is a great one. It's like, why can't it be done graphically the way we see things in football games? Mm -hmm. and all I mean, that. I've definitely been on a hard court where the lines get slippery when it starts to drizzle or when it's super, super humid out. But that didn't seem to be a factor. Um, I just, if there's any question at all, why don't we fix it? You well, know, no, I, I don't know. There will be some kind of subtle exploration. I mean, I think things go on. This is where agents uh, agents examine every part of that. And they'll say, hey, wait a second. That, these, these letters, was that slick? Did that help trigger the, the injury um, or not? And so we'll see. Yeah, no, it doesn't have to be there. Of course it doesn't right. have to be there. It's there. It's there for business. They got to get rid of those advertising boards that are in front of the lines judges that yeah. sometimes players, I mean, that is completely yeah. unnecessary. Now the, the, the Nazi Kokonakis at Monte Carlo, remember when he tripped on that, that um, Maui gym, it's like a block out there. I mean, it's so Outrageous. unnecessary. Yeah. What line judges, what line judges, we're not going to have line judges. They're yeah. Gonna, <laughs> True they're enough. Gonna line judges. They're going to be, they're going to be, uh, they're going to go the, the, the way of the white ball. Yeah. It's certainly seems that way. Um, the, the courts are slicker this year. I mean, let's throw that out there. You know, okay. it's, uh, faster. it's they're faster. I don't know. I don't know. You know, we talked we've talked about sand on the courts. Yeah. I guess if it's faster, I don't know what the, there uh, would uh, be less sand. There'd be less sand, but less grip. But you know, again, these are newly surfaced fast courts. These aren't my worn down public park, you know, hockey rink kind of courts. Right. Uh, now, I don't, you know, you can't take all this as gospel. I did hear uh, a commentator, you know, make that declaration that the courts are, are not as grippy as they once were. But, you know, again, it's really hard to, it's really hard to draw very confident conclusions about that. But of course, yeah, the court is, uh, is faster. And then we have the, the no crowd thing. And we talked, we hit on it a little bit at the top. This was another thing that Djokovic was kind of battling at the beginning of the Fritz match as he was kind of getting into it with, with the crowd a bit. And, uh, you know, we've, it's kind of back to, back to the end of 2020, right? It just feels like we're, we're going back in time. I don't know how much of an effect this will have on the players because I, I feel like we've, you know, 
they're probably already used to this. Now, I didn't see the beginning of the match. I was watching the Curios team match, which was a real humdinger. Uh, why was the crowd getting into it with Djokovic? I mean, with with all the Australian Opens that Djokovic has won, why wouldn't they be behind him? I just, I think it was a, a small but loud group oh. that Novak was paying <laughs> attention to. And uh, okay. I know that, I think after he won the, I think after he won the first set, you know, he looked right at them and let out a huge fist pump. Oh. So it was just, you know, they were they were going at it a little bit. I think Djokovic actually likes that and kind of enjoys that. But uh, maybe the crowd was also rooting for more tennis uh, in the in the um, in the third set, getting behind. The crowd first. was just rooting. The crowd was just rooting. I mean, I think fans are happy to be back at sports events. And they yeah. want to be in at it, and they've been kind of deprived. And they've been remember, this is a city that endured a 111-day lockdown. So they're just, and this is a festive city, a friendly city. So they're having a chance to enjoy themselves, and and it's sort of intimate. It's not it's not as packed a, a stadium as customary. So here's a chance to almost be even more visible and kind of make contact with the player. And and I think for the players, the um, the impact of this, it's singular whether it's crowds or no crowds, but it's also just this undertow overtone of uncertainty and dread in the world of what's yeah. going on of what's happening from week to week and whether it's whether it's are there whether it's their people or they're not it's all a sign of why is this happening and we all know why this is happening it's a why because of the pandemic and that's a that's the big cloud cover of of all of this and and how is it going to go and where are we going to be and and then for these folks who travel so much and airports and hotels i mean how many times are these players going to be tested by the t over the next 10 months? I mean, constant sin. Am I positive? What's going on? All of that. Yeah. I think of Madison Keys, who was headed to the Australian Open and lost, she went from Florida to Los Angeles to get on that plane and tested positive. All the training, all the preparation, she had to turn around and go back to Florida. Mm. Right. It's, uh, yeah. It's it really really difficult situation to uh, to think about and yeah i mean we talk about a crazy scene the fans leaving in the middle of the match in the middle of that uh the the djokovic uh fritz match very uh kind of jarring especially because i kind of got used to crowd noise really quickly here yeah this tournament i right? did too i mean i was like watching that curios team match i was like yeah it's as it should be it's it's like as it's always has been and then I kept thinking to myself, but this is, this could be it. It could be it. Yeah. Well, it didn't demotivate Novak. That's for sure. You know, that, that just goes to show, you know, it completely comes from, from within for, for him. And he was uh, really emotional after the match about the win, because I, I think that obviously it was a, a real struggle for him on the court um, tonight. Um. What is the, I, I do wonder kind of what the decision-making process will be like for him about, you know, taking the court against Raonic if, if he's not going to be a hundred percent. And I, I do wonder if, you know, I, I think that the three probably all have different mindsets about that. And Federer of course has that kind of record of never retiring during a match. And I'm just curious to, to see how Djokovic plays this. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical, you know, if to, to predict that everything's going to be fine and dandy for the rest of the tournament.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, if it's a tear, um, he should get imaging. I'm just going to go out there and, and and hopefully he will. If it's a tear, then he maybe ought to consider withdrawing as much as I hate to say that. Um, if it's not... Off the top of my head, I don't know his record against Raonic, but I feel like it's pretty doggone good. Um, you know, he's he's got the beat on that guy. So it's hard to say, Gil. It really is. I mean, what we should be thinking about after the Curios team match and team surviving that in five sets and the way he did, we should be thinking, is it another opportunity for him with an injured Rafa and an injured Novak? Well, absolutely. It's an, it's an opportunity for him and the most recent, uh, well, not the most recent, the most recent new major winner. And uh, knowing that these guys might be hindered and we're, we're going to see, I guess we're just going to have to see what this really is with Novak, how extensive the injury is. And the amazing thing is, these, not the amazing thing is, these guys have such engaged pit crews, you know, people who monitor everything and, know, and Novak has brought that to a new state of the arts. I mean, Martina Navratilova and Ivan Lendl kind of started and Novak has brought it to a whole 21st century level of measurement and care and sophistication and his own fitness and, and what he eats and what he drinks. So I, I think we're just going to have to see what, what this injury is. And I think, I think it would take a lot for him to, to withdraw before the match happens. That would have to be a major injury and a doctor making a significant recommendation. So I, I, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't take the court. Then, then we'll have to see. Djokovic is eleven and zero lifetime against Raonic, so it's there. You tremendous. go. <laughs> yeah, it has not been a, a competitive head to head at all. Um, man, though, there, there's there's a lot at stake. I mean, Djokovic went through a stretch where he won five of seven majors from the 2018 Wimbledon to the 2020 Australian Open, and now things are looking very complicated. If, if he wants to, to win this tournament, that would be oh for his last three. One was a regular, just plain old loss, the final against Nadal at, at Roland Garros. But then, then you have the, the default against PCB and it could be an injury that seals his fate here. Um, not to mention you had the, uh, the Stan Wawrinka shoulder injury uh, knock him out of uh, of the U.S. Open a little bit recently. So there have been not a lot of normal losses, and that was last year um, in the fourth round of the U.S. Open. Or now it was two years ago because that was 2019. There's been a lot of strange defeats for Novak that just have not, or uh, it's not necessarily strange outside of PCB, but it's it's not just a regular. Well, the opponent won three sets. I think we had kind of gotten used to that, um, you know, and we we like to think of these guys as so predictable. Um, but Joel's right, you know, sports, um, it, it rarely ever goes to script. So um, it's, it's going to be really interesting with the change up of fans and will that, with no fans, will that 
benefit um, Novak? Will it hurt Nadal? You know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see. Right. Well, sports is one of the things where I'm um, surprised isn't bad for you. In most parts of life, surprise is less than good. And in other parts of uh, sports, things happen in their ways. And Novak, remember, before he's, his grand ascent in 2011, before he changed his whole diet and everything, he had a number of, he had withdrawals, he had health things, he had certain things going on, and he fixed that. And then things have, things have happened. Yeah, things have happened. And it's kind of, it's kind of a number of them. And then they're each kind of quirky, yeah, like the Rorinka retirement. And then he's had, um, uh, in 2016, Rorinka beat him in the U.S. Open final after Novak had won a incredibly uh, hot off the charts at the 2016 U.S. Open. I think it was more than 100 degrees on the court when he beats Monfils in the semis. So it's just part of part of his part of his journey. And here he is, though, still winning these majors, winning this tournament eight times, still the favorite to win this title. I would think. Wouldn't you guys still think he's the favorite to win the title? Uh, not, no, not necessarily, depending on the injury. We'll probably who's know the in, by the end of the day. But, wait, wait, but who's the – then who is, if we're going to do that? Maybe Medvedev. Team. Medvedev. Right now, you say it's Medvedev is the favorite to win the title at this minute? I might say it's yes. team. For me. Okay. All right. Uh, but, you guys, this just yeah. r- reminds me of something um, that I've been bo- – it's been bothering me. Um the feeds that you guys watching, are you getting these win prediction things? Where it's oh, a, that is driving me crazy. Oh my god, well, uh, yes. useless, completely <laughs> useless. I mean, first of all, how often is it wrong? And and secondly, it's like, well, it said that team was going to win. Now it's saying joke. Uh, now it's saying Curios is going to win. It it flips. The prediction flips. It's the most useless thing. It actually makes me angry. You want to see John King from CNN come out and start projecting who's going to win? And he's got like the map of the of the player. I don't. That's, know, that's an like- insult to John King. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just think it's like there's a favorite and we know that going into the match. So what, what a prediction. Well, the, all these gam all these gambits designed to engage audiences, I think, I mean, I think that's kind of a whole deal. And I think, uh, yeah, this, I, I agree. I, I, if I've seen those, I don't pay attention to that stuff. Okay, it doesn't good. seem to translate to tennis. I've seen it in, in other sports and it's based on the situation. I think it makes sense. Like in, in, basketball perhaps it's okay well a team down nine with two minutes left has this probability of winning and that i kind of like it's like oh well that situation is really hard to come back from in tennis it seems to i don't know how they're coming to these numbers amy and i don't think it's like that i I think the algorithm's off yeah uh, but even if it was correct they're not they're not expanding on what these numbers are. They're just saying win predictor. Like for, for all we know, this could be someone in the, in the truck who uh, they've deemed the, right, right. I, I'm sure it's not that, but you know, it, it, who knows? But the win predictor is never held accountable, Gil. Like, <laughs> well, going into the match, you said he had a 92% chance. Now you're saying that he's only got a 5% chance. I mean, we need to hold you accountable, win predictor. Well, name name but- one, this is, this is why I'm not a big fan of predictions because there's, there isn't any accountability. So in other words, if, the, if someone makes some prediction, whether it's a career, a tournament, a match, and it's, and it's right, oh, see, look what I, but there's no, 
there's, there's never there, there's an account there's an accountability that's why the predictions it's all it's all this outcome based i mean i i enjoy engaging with process not just yes. like you know what can he can he win a slam that's not the point what needs to happen for him to win a slam what occurs and what's going on and that's why right now novak you know, novak's injury has kind of thrown uncertainty well the, the the accountability is in the the youtube comments joel you get you get uh you get some heat <laughs> when you get it wrong that's the accountability. Well, yeah it's you get some heat you know, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> i guess i don't like treating athletes like they're stocks right right yeah. they're commodities that's Either. like mm -hmm. i agree I and well, also, I think this topic just kind of brings us to the, this larger point. You know, I, I get asked all the time to predict the slam race, basically, basically every major. And it's always, I can't predict the slam race because you can't predict longevity and you can't predict things like, like what just happened when mm -hmm. Djokovic just played Taylor Fritz. You can't predict, you can't predict short term. You can't even predict short term. I mean, I think, I think right. I know people like to ask that stuff. Like they're just. Like they're just tallying and it's the wrong question. I mean, you guys, you know, I'm very big. I say, what's really the, what's the real question here? Mm -hmm. like, who's going to win the slam And Is that going to make them the greatest ever? Well, it doesn't mean it, it's meaningless. I, it just, it's, and, and then there are all these other players in the history of the game that are A plus players. I mean, it's just so, it's just so different. That kind of and, stuff. you know, for the last, I don't know, six months that Roger has been injured, people have been saying, well, Novak's going to take it over now, the slam tally, or Rafa's going to take it over now, the slam tally. Well, look at it now. It's really up in the air, isn't it? Well, it's, it's always up in the air. And it's always, it's, it's, always, <laughs> it's always up in the air. That's why it's sports. That's what's fun about it. That's what's fun about watching yeah. sports things. It's guys who win and, and, and new people. And once upon a time, everybody was nobody. You know, once, you know, six months ago, Dom, Dominic Team had never won a major. Now he's won a major. So in, in a while, we're going to wonder, is he going to win a second or who knows? And it's, that's, and, and I think it's interesting to see, particularly during this pandemic, how we gain things from sports that way and what that means to us. I mean, for example, you see how much, how much of a cry of, uh, of happiness there was for a lot of people seeing Tom Brady win a seventh Super Bowl. That was really mm -hmm gratifying for a lot of people who love Tom Brady and, and love seeing great athletes do great things. And maybe that's even more cherished during this time of global uncertainty. You know, mm -hmm. so much of our world is uncertain now. So here's a chance. Okay. Well, Tom Brady always right with the world for this moment. Yeah. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. All right. Let's end uh, on this. Okay. It's going to be Djokovic and Raonic in the, uh, in the fourth round and, you know, it's such an unpredictable uh, situation with Djokovic. We'll see how that plays out. Nadal and uh, Cam Nori is, that's a third round match. So we're a little bit staggered here. Nadal, we talked about how good he looked against Mo. He did look good, but his first serve average uh, due to his back was 111 miles per hour. Way down, you could see he's holding back. So it's the question is, you know, how much longer can, can Nadal get away with really uh, rolling in his first serve. Well, I wrote a piece for 538 that Nadal is pretty much king of second serve. His winning percentages on second serve are just astronomical compared to other people. So, you know, does he really need a fast serve? Maybe not. How much he can, well, it's, it's going to be opponent driven. This is going to be driven by what they recognize and what they're able to do with the ball and the speed of the courts and their own skill set 
and how what they bring to it. It's also conditions driven. He always takes some off on clay and he, you know, it's easy money Ups for him the to, RPMs. to do that, but on a quicker. Yeah, you can spot right, serve. But, He's also, uh, you know, king of, of location too. So yeah. there's a lot he can do. Well, um, that is for sure. There is a lot he can do. Uh, okay, we will see how uh, how it plays out with our uh, wounded Nadal, wounded Djokovic, and you know, but their their greatness shines through it uh, when when we kind of watch them work through these things. So uh, we'll continue to monitor. That'll do it for this episode of three. Make sure to like the video on YouTube, leave a comment, and subscribe. We are also available on all podcast platforms, and we greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And we will see you next time on the next episode of three.